So the mayor's budget, mayor bragged about sending $600,000 to, what is it called, Warehouse District Live. I've been to a couple of times and it's not, it doesn't feel very alive. Not many people go to it. And I don't know how you could spend $600,000 on that event and not like continue to partner to put on open streets events, which people attend and people enjoy. As you can see, uh, there are lots of people out here. There, I don't know if the fire has been going off behind us, but you have fire going off at these open streets events. I just thought the, uh, the contrast between tossing money at a, a, an event put on by the downtown council and announcing this year, well, we're no longer gonna co-host these events. We're not gonna chip in seemed uh, bad. Did you get new shoes? I did. Those are Abandis, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know those shoes. They're, They're great. So they are so comfortable. Hoka Bandi, that's the particular ones. It's the <laughs> thickest sole you can get in, the, in running yeah. shoes. YouTube has been recommending me a bunch of barefoot shoe videos. There's all, a whole bunch of evangelists who are like, eh, no padding, just as flat as possible. <laughs> Form fitting, no firmness. That just feels like, like yeah. people who are like sort of perversely into me. Yeah, so like <laughs> Christian fractures, you know. We love that. Uh, yes, the, <laughs> the Trinity will fix you. Okay, welcome back to the Wedge Live podcast. We're here at Open Street, Cedar Riverside. Thank you for listening and watching on YouTube. Go to YouTube to watch this one. It's probably more enjoyable on YouTube, youtube.com slash Wedge Live. I'm speaking with Jose Antonio Zayas Caban from our streets who puts on these glorious Open Streets events in partnership with the city. That's, the, that's what we're here to talk about today is that partnership potentially going away. The uh, city's public works department has said it's going away. Uh, can we start by talking about like logistically how these events are put together? What help does the city offer to make these events happen and allow you to do it? Great, so I would start by saying that uh, Every event uh, can take basically up to a year to work towards. Um, we work with uh, different parts of the city. Um, so for example, the special events committee uh, where we sit down and talk to them about uh, the routes that we're going to choose, the dates that we're going to select um, for those routes, um, the length of the closures. And that usually happens right after the season is over. We start doing that planning. In the meantime, Ember in particular, who does superhero work to put all of this together, Ember is our uh, events manager. They will be uh, starting to cultivate partnerships in the community. So there's a difference between just doing a street closure and then doing it really well. And the way it comes out when we do open streets, which is that um, we are spending time with uh, stakeholders and partners 
from the community, not just to make sure that the events are really full, but they're very representative of each of the communities in the corridors where we're at. Um, the city of Minneapolis, um, where they kind of obviously get involved and support the event, is the actual closure. Um, and then uh, they staff uh, at the event, so we always have uh, uh, EMS, we have obviously the Minneapolis Police Department to help with the closures. And uh, they also um, support the um, the food permits that we need to make sure that vendors are all along the corridor and then a few other uh, cost related things like for example trash removal uh, for the event but in large like by and large we do the the coordination side of the event and the community engagement part of the event and anything that has to do with setting up and tearing down the event the day of so police would cost money, right? If you were some other org, if they weren't assisting, the trash removal, the permits, all that, all those are things that would cost money that they take care of to help make this event possible. Absolutely. And so the uh, Public Works Department, I said they're not doing an RFP for next year. They're not partnering with you on the event for next year. Is that right? Well, that's what it seemed, that seems to be the case. So the, the Ward 2 office uh, sent out a newsletter saying that's what they've been introduced to in a briefing. I believe, and so we're going to find out more about it uh, Thursday, uh, this upcoming Thursday, to see exactly what is it that they mean and what they have in store for the Open Streets event series. But ultimately, if there is uh, no RFP or if the event is not funded or supported, um, then we wouldn't be able to continue to do Open Streets. And that's another thing that I would add is that, you know, this year, as I've come into the leadership of Our Streets Minneapolis, um, as much as we've enjoyed doing the events, uh, we've also, you know, just learned as an organization that we can't do it sustainably without uh, funding because we have to staff the event and all of those 12 months, you know, that entire year that we spend doing the work, uh, staffing the event itself and all of that work that goes in between. Um, in order for us to do it sustainably, you know, because we love doing it and we love doing it really well and we love doing it in a way that celebrates communities, um, the city of Minneapolis, you know, will have to chip in. And so um, if you go to the contract as it is now, you'll, you can go to the fiscal note and you'll notice that everything is zero. And so we want to be in a situation where there's enough funding for us to staff it and obviously for us to finance the things that have to do with the event day itself and, uh, you know, and be able to do it sustainably. Um, if they decide not to do that, and then obviously we're not going to be able to continue to do the event series. So what I've heard is that they could potentially, you could, uh, well, you're fine to apply to do it yourself, right? Or the city could, could throw their own event, uh, but I don't know who they're going to find to do it uh, for nothing. Right. <laughs> and I don't see how you could do it without at the very least, like the police and all the all the logistical assistance that would cost money if the city wasn't pitching in. So what you're saying is you'd like to do the event better, uh, get get actual city money, like dollars and not just logistical help to, to throw the event next year. But could you do it the way it's always been done? Is it at all sustainable to continue doing it the way it's always been done? without uh, financial assistance? No, at this point, uh, we wouldn't be able to continue doing it long-term regardless. You know, the, the way I sometimes describe it, as you know, I, like I'm a professional musician, 
and I love playing music and I uh, received a lot of training to do it but in order for me to go uh, give concerts and be able to do it sustainably wherever I get hired to do it um, that work has to be compensated because then that supports you know what I'm doing as an individual to make sure that we can do the next one and so we're at a juncture as an organization that uh, where um, not only the, the logistical, you know, funding the logistical aspects of the event, but also um, funding to staff the event and run the event is the only way we're going to be able to continue to move forward. So um, you're exactly right. You know, if they just said, well, you guys can do it, um, we, we would still need to figure out the funding piece. And in fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I mean, We've been so excited about the success of the events this year and over the last couple of years, Ember just has done a tremendous job of building all of these community partnerships. And we've been featuring more black and brown communities. We've been going into more marginalized neighborhoods. Um, we'd be really disappointed not to continue to do that because um, you know, we submitted uh, a budget to the city of Minneapolis, uh, to the mayor, to city council, uh, to Public Works uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we told them, We'd love to do five more, but we're willing to do up to 10 more. We just need to kind of change the relationship and fund the program. Um, but if they were feeling really excited about it, if city council was feeling excited about it, um, we're willing to go up to 10 events and really spread it out across the city and build out a very strong program. So we went without open streets. We had no open streets in 2020. I think, didn't we miss 21 too? Yeah, in 2021, we ended up doing three. And actually, um, we told the city that we were only going to be able to do one, and they supported uh, uh, doing a couple more. And that's that's the way we were able to do it. Uh, so they they were able to help finance doing um, West Broadway, Minnehaha, ultimately. So that's how we ended up with three. Um, but yeah, that conversation has been going on for a long time because the program, I believe, used to be founded uh, funded by philanthropy. But ever since, uh, that funding went away and we became sort of, the Open Streets event series became a priority in the Transportation Action Plan, I think it was like in uh, 2018. Um, the budget has shrunk, it's become less and less sustainable, the staffing has sort of shrunk and it becomes uh, more and more difficult to do the event without the support. And so now we've hit this juncture where we have a great model for how to do the event really successfully and really feature communities very well. Um, but in order for us to sustain it or do it or, or even scale it out, which is what we'd like to do, um, we just need to find another funding source and we're hoping the city of Minneapolis decides to do it. I felt really bad when it went away. It's how I knew it was my favorite event in the city, but then when it went away during the pandemic, I really missed it. I thought, well, uh, it's outdoors. It's safe, but it, uh, I guess it takes so much planning uh, that it couldn't have come off that year. And there was a lot of happening that year. So the mayor's budget, mayor bragged about sending $600,000 to Michael Rainville's, I don't know if it's Michael Rainville's event or not, but he gets credit for it. Uh, what is it called? Warehouse District Live. I've been to a couple of times and it's not, it doesn't feel very alive. Not many people go to it. And I don't know how you could spend $600,000 on that event and not like continue to partner to put on open streets events, which people attend and people enjoy. As you can see, uh, there are lots of people out here. 
There, I don't know if the fire has been going off behind us, but you have fire going off at these open streets events. I just thought the, uh, the contrast between tossing money at a, a, an event put on by the downtown council and announcing this year, well, we're no longer gonna co-host these events, we're not gonna chip in, seemed uh, bad. I, I almost interpret it as like a punishment, retribution, because you've been critical of the mayor's administration of the Public Works Department for some things like uh, the Hennepin Avenue reconstruction, ditching the bus lanes, uh, some other things. You've been very vocal about the, the sidewalk, the winter maintenance stuff. Uh, do you feel like this is punishment? Is it political? Well, I'd like to think it isn't, but I think we're very clear on the kind of advocacy that we do as an organization. And I think there's a thread, a through line that we can make between the event series and where it is and some of the other work that we do. And it's that, you know, our organization is really deeply focused on making sure that transportation, infrastructure decisions, uh, decisions that are made by Public Works or other city departments for that matter, are representative of the needs of marginalized communities. And it is really unfortunate uh, that, for example, the year that we're having a discussion about whether or not the event series is going to continue is the one year where three of our events have been um, in three of the most diverse communities in Minneapolis. The Cedar Riverside neighborhood is the most diverse neighborhood in the state of Minnesota. And we know that uh, Glenwood and West Broadway, you know, the highest concentration of black Americans in the city of Minneapolis is in North Minneapolis. And the Near North community, as we've demonstrated through our mobile museum, is one of the most devastated communities. It was the original community that was destroyed to make way for a highway. Um, and these are the same communities that have been asking for safety improvements, improvements on their streets, um, investments from the city. And so, uh, you know, we feel like it's really important for us to uh, work on engagement and programming that's uplifting and that's representative of these communities so people see them in a different light. But this idea that um, um, doing advocacy is a justification to take something out that has helped uplift these communities that would never have an opportunity to put on an event like this. You know, and for people to come into the neighborhoods and see communities in a whole different way because they get to enjoy open streets in a corridor they've never been to, uh, is really disappointing. And as far as the criticism itself, you know, I think it's important to say that um, when we do advocacy, what we're trying to do is point out the gaps in terms of how these communities are represented in these decisions. And as an organization, um, we wouldn't be able to go back, you know, to sort of the drawing room, the meeting room, and say, we've done our best when we know there's something more that can be done, whether it's a bus lane or another minor safety improvement, or whether we're talking about county corridors, because oftentimes those decisions impact the most invisible members of our community, which are marginalized communities, people with disabilities, people of color, people who are transit dependent, but it also impacts members of the community who are climate conscious and just want to see something else. And open streets, in our view, is uh, very emblematic of what the Transportation Action Plan is trying to do, which is model a city where cars aren't prioritized, other modes of transportation aren't prioritized, and where we use land to um, give communities an opportunity to uh, become vibrant again through walking, biking, rolling, but also investments in housing and commercial development, you know, so, um, 
yeah, it, you know, whatever connection there might be there to the work that we're doing as an advocacy uh, organization, um, you know, we feel like the reason why so many community members are getting involved with what we're doing is because the work has been so effective in elevating those issues and elevating those voices. In my opinion, is that Public Works or the City of Minneapolis in general, um, they should uh, respond to what community members are saying and their needs. And the fact that we're uplifting them is one thing, but these are things that people think and want on their streets. You know, we, we've just become kind of a conduit or a voice or an amplifier for what's going on. Yeah, and uh, it's not like, so I think the downtown council is putting on uh, Warehouse District Live. It's not like they're not doing advocacy. <laughs> it's just they're doing advocacy uh, from a different uh, side politically. And so, uh, right. And it's, you know, I think, I think this is a really important point. It's like when we're talking about different parts of the city have different access and different resources to advocate for themselves. You know, we're talking about uh, class and race. You know, we're talking about wealth and access. And so our streets Minneapolis spends time in communities that generally can't afford to organize or organize themselves. But it's not that they don't deserve or they don't want it, the same kind of improvements that the downtown council would advocate for or a business association. It's just that they don't have the resources. And in a way, you know, we are talking about uh, race and class quite specifically because oftentimes the disinvestment or the lack of investment or that oversight or even that contempt sometimes or these members of the community always seems to land on the same poor BIPOC communities. And so, yeah, you know, we realize we're doing advocacy in places where normally people can't advocate for themselves, but that's what we want to be doing as an organization is like raising awareness about the fact that if we feel like a street should look and feel a certain way um, to benefit the community, that should be afforded to all parts of the community, no matter their uh, ethnic or socioeconomic status. And rather, we feel like these things should be universally applied. Like, we know there are neighborhoods that can afford to clear their sidewalks, but there are also neighborhoods that cannot. That doesn't mean they don't deserve to have uh, sidewalk clearing. And if the city can afford to do something about it, we want to be there to advocate for that. So what's next? Uh, so budget season is coming up. Will you be advocating to have the council amend the mayor's budget uh, to put money in there for open streets? How do you uh, save the event? What is the plan? Because it, I love this event. I think it's very popular. I'd like to see it continue. What do we do? What action do we take to make sure it continues? Well, I'll start by saying, uh, you know, because oftentimes our organization like is very well known for the public advocacy um, we love doing open streets and we love the deep connections that we've made with the communities especially communities that have never been represented and um, we just love the feedback that we're I know you went to Glenwood which is you know there were question marks about what would it feel like and it just went so so well and so, you know, what I would tell partners uh, or community members or city council members is, you know, obviously there are key people that you can reach out to, um, the mayor, Margaret Anderson Kelleher at Public Works, and your own council members, and just let them know how you feel because, you know, ultimately it's going to be up to the community to decide whether they want to see open streets continue and for them to advocate for that and just reach out to these decision makers during the budgeting season. What we'd like to see um, 
is some funding so that we can do it sustainably long term and ideally enough funding so that we can spread the event around to more communities. Like we enjoy doing five and it takes a lot of work and right now it's not sustainable but with the right amount of funding um, we'd love to bring it up to eight or ten events across the city and you know hit corridors that haven't hit, been hit for a while. Uh, that's another thing like we get a ton of emails. What about Nicolet or what about Lowry? What about Absolutely, and so we wouldn't have to pick and choose as much. And um, if the collaboration were to grow to a really successful point, we could also completely eliminate the financial barrier for vendors to be on the street, which would really help uh, increase the diversity of participation uh, in the program. So the way I want to see it, you know, and the way I would uh, talk about it is like, not just to think about saving it, but to think about what it could be based on what it's become this year. Like, come out to uh, Open Streets West Broadway, come out to Open Streets Lindell, experience the events the way they are now. Ask yourself, you know, is this something that you want to see continue for years moving forward? And then reach out to your city council member, reach out to uh, the mayor, reach out to uh, Margaret Kelleher at Public Works, and just let them know um, and then hopefully uh, we'll see a little bit of a change at heart. Maybe they'll walk it back and they'll give us the opportunity to continue to do it and maybe find a way to do it sustainably. It would be a shame if they went away. As you said, we still have, uh, we're here at Cedar uh, Riverside Open Streets today. We've got two more events this year. Enjoy it while you still can. This could go away forever. Uh, anything else, Jose? No, I, I think uh, we've covered everything. I would just reiterate how important and how special these events are for communities that wouldn't be able to do this for themselves. You know, Open Streets is an opportunity for us to get to know the city in a completely different way and to go into communities that uh, are largely marginalized, overlooked, or ignored. Uh, a lot of them communities of color, a lot of them poor communities. Um, and uh, if we get the opportunity to do this again next year and moving forward, we will be so excited to grow the event series and continue to do it for another decade or more if possible. Okay. Thank you, Jose. Thank you. Jose Antonio Zayas Caban from Our Streets, Minneapolis. We're here at Open Street Cedar Riverside. Wish you were here, but by the time you see this, you can't be here. It will already have happened, but you can still go to West Broadway, you can still go to Lindell Avenue. Uh, Jose, here's one last thing. Why is Open Streets on Lindale happening in October? I'm so mad about that. I love it in June. I want it to be the first Open Streets of the year. Absolutely. So we work with the city of Minneapolis on selecting dates and available dates. Um, that's one of the things that we have to do. And we have to compete with, uh, uh, for example, the Twins or the Vikings, um, other kinds of programming. And so we have to figure out what dates are available. And this year, uh, partly because we were having a long discussion about uh, 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 budgeting and uh, the event series, uh, uh, this year it, uh, we were just not able to capitalize on the early summer dates. And so it really, uh, some of that planning with the city took quite a bit, quite a bit longer than uh, it normally would have, so we're hoping, again, if this happens next year, to have uh, a much more uh, jam-packed summer of events, including Lindell. Okay. Do you have any recommendations? What are you enjoying lately? Uh, for reading and music? Anything. What, what do you, uh, when you try to escape 
from uh, the stress of your work or your personal life? Anything, if something goes bad in Jose's life, what do you turn to to make you happy? Well, uh, I love cooking and I love traveling. Uh, so this year I'm going to go to Rocky Mountain National Park for a little bit and uh, the hiking and getting away is nice and uh, and then I like going to cities that are food friendly. I'm going to go to Portland and then I'm going to go to my home Puerto Rico. I recommend it to everyone because now from Minneapolis you can fly to uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico nonstop twice a week. Oh, really? And so I can go visit my family, have delicious food. All the beaches are free. What's the, what's the best place in Puerto Rico to go if you want, maybe don't want to be in a touristy area, but it's still nice, uh, some place you can enjoy, where should we go in Puerto Rico? Okay, well I have my favorites. They're, Puerto Rico is all beautiful, but in my mom's hometown in Aguadilla, which is in the northwest corner, um, there's an old uh, military base, a, a U.S. military base, Air Force base, that is now an airport. Uh, it's called Las Ruinas. Uh, and you have to drive through a golf course that was built for the people in the military and downhill but you end up in this beautiful secluded beach with really tall cliffs, uh, great waves, just an awesome breeze. That's one and two, if you drive down to the southwest most corner, it's called El Faro in the community is Cabo Rojo. Um, you have to drive, um, it's sort of a bumpy little road but it's literally like going to the end of the earth. It's just you in the Caribbean. You can literally walk up to the edge of the island, you can just sit there and enjoy a breeze and look at the beautiful cliffs. I'll send you a photo if you want to post one. So here's a question, this is turning yeah. into a travel show. Yes. If I'm going to Puerto Rico and I land, I get off the plane, I don't drive, is it possible for me to enjoy Puerto Rico without a car? No, unfortunately Puerto Rico as a colony of the U.S. has received very little investment in infrastructure. It has all the potential in the world for other modes of transportation, but uh, uh, the only way to get around the island is uh, one highway. And in fact, you'll laugh at this because Spanish to English is uh, always uh, is a little bit comical. Um, we know that the highway system in the U.S. used to be called the interstate and defense system. In Puerto Rico, the one highway that we have that goes around the island is called the military. The military, the military highway, or they just people just call it the military because it was built to carry military freight around the island. Puerto Rico was first occupied as a, like a strategically uh, uh, good location for the military, so they invested in a highway that it's Highway Two, but people commonly refer to it as the military. And the other thing that uh, the way Spanish translates to English, uh, highways, the word for highways we use uh, is more like the word for racetrack. Okay. That seems appropriate. Yep, it's much. I think it's much more accurate and representative. <laughs> Instead of rethinking 94, it could be rethinking the racetrack. Absolutely. We shouldn't have the racetrack. It's like video game driving uh, in Puerto Rico, I'm not going to lie. It's like video game driving here, isn't it? So, oh yeah, I mean, uh, people sometimes refer to like uh, the chases as Grand Theft Auto, and I believe that, you know, I don't play the game, but it sure feels like it. Yeah. Okay, uh, we're done. We're really done now. Thank you, Jose, from Our Streets. This has been the Wedge Live podcast from Open Street, Cedar Riverside. I'm your host, John Edwards. Thank you for listening and watching on YouTube. Go to YouTube to watch this one. It's probably more enjoyable on YouTube, youtube.com slash Wedge Live. Uh, thank you. Goodbye. This is a real, real.
Right now, 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 right now. 